But then again, in light of the text each week, that takes on, on a new form. For example, today, it's a challenge to warning us, to warn us uh, against going after earthly treasures as your primary pursuit, but instead to exchange that and be encouraged to learn to enjoy God and recognize that what you have given, these things are gifts from God that are given for His glory and, and given for your enjoyment. Now, as I say that, there's a word of caution that we all need to take at this point, and that is to understand that the challenge here isn't to glorify a simpler life or a life lived in moderation. The challenge here is to glorify God in all things because God is the one who gives us life. God is the one who gives us wealth. God is the one who gives us possessions. God is the one who gives us abilities. Yes, as I said, for his glory, but also for our personal enjoyment. In other words, there are two huge extremes to be avoided in a teaching like this. Number one, wearing yourself out to get rich. And number two, wearing yourself out in a pursuit of a simpler life. And believe me, I've seen both of those things happen. Instead, it's about celebrating God, celebrating His blessings. Now, I also have to give you a word about the writing style of today's text. Uh, as you should know, if you've been a part of the study, that um, Ecclesiastes is poetic literature. It's also part of wisdom literature. And the scripture we're looking at today incorporates a poetic style that's called chiasm. Chiasm. You should see that there on your note-taking guide. And that means that there are parallel structures in these verses that point to a common theme, but in this case, that common theme is in the middle of the text. So it's structured like this, and I, I gave you this both on the PowerPoint and on your note guide, but in my effort to make it simpler, I think I complicated it because those X's and Y's on your note-taking guide refer to the A's and B's that follow in the note guide. So where I changed the A's to X's, change that back. X's are A's and Y's are B's, okay? I think you can handle that pretty well. And so it's, it's structured like this. The first part of our text in chapter 5, verse 8, talks about the reality that people cannot be satisfied. The second part of the outline points to 5, verse 13 and on, where we see that people cannot enjoy. And then this takes us to the climax, or to the ultimate application this morning, where we learn to recognize God and enjoy all things that He's given to us. Then we come back to the B there in chapter 6, 1 through 3, people cannot enjoy. And then we come to the, the, the final scriptures there at uh, chapter 6, 7 through 9, people cannot, people will not be satisfied. Kind of an interesting writing style. And so in light of this, I'm going to approach our text a little differently because typically during our teaching time, we'll walk through the scripture verse by verse. But what I want to do is I want to take those A's together then those B's together, and then we'll conclude with this whole climax, with this practical application of glorifying God in all things. All right, you ready for this? Do you understand everything I said so far? All right, yeah? Uh, who can give me one point from last Sunday's teaching? <laughs> I don't do that. Preachers know not to ask that question. All right. <laughs> all right. Well, let's prepare our hearts as we get ready to get into God's Word. Would you just consider for a moment 
things that might keep you from receiving from God and, and just begin to give those things to the Lord. It might be a burden, a concern, something going on in our world, someone that you're um, thinking about today. Why don't you give those things to the Lord, knowing that He cares about these things? cares on you. Now, consider the state of your heart at this moment. Uh, as a pastor, my goal here isn't to try to, to somehow be winsome or to impress you, but only to allow God to work as He is already in your life. And there's a part of that where you might be in a situation that you're being, oh, you're not ready to receive, maybe out of stubbornness, maybe out of anger, maybe out of pride. That's something that you've got to deal with yourself. And now, Lord, we pray that you'll speak into our lives through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Man, this baby, who is this? Huh? Lions. Lions. Where's lions from? Utah. Can I hold lions? Yes. <laughs> Hello, lions. Look at this. Oh, yeah. We love babies, don't we? Oh, thank you for bringing lions today. God, thank you for lions. Bless this baby. Bless mom and dad, too. Thank you for the little ones. And thank you for that the kingdom of God is such as these. Amen. I just love the head of babies. <laughs> is this your grandchild? All right, beautiful. Thank you for sharing. If I put you on the spot, beat me up later, okay? Sucker for babies. All right, so letter A, um, here we start off with our outline. People who make wealth their primary pursuit cannot and will not be satisfied. Chapter 5, verse 8. If you see the poor oppressed in a district and Justice and rights denied. Do not be surprised at such things. And then here's the reason why. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them both are others higher still. So here we have this effort to go after those in pursuit of wealth as a primary focus. And, and the teacher begins with the oppressed poor. And then he says very strongly, don't be surprised when you see the oppressed poor. So why does he start off this way. Well, if you look at that, what follows there, what we've already read today, it's because those that are in positions to help these people who are poor and oppressed aren't seeing them because what they're looking out for is they're looking out for themselves and they're watching over those who are after their positions. It's about a bureaucratic system, and that's what this is talking about right here, that because there are those chasing after wealth, there are those who go oppressed and you can try to put government systems in place but you end up with the same kind of bureaucratic problems so he says don't be surprised when you see this happening verse 9 the increase from the land is taken by all this is a difficult portion of scripture to to understand here but the way that i see it better read is that the increase of the land is there for everyone's benefit to benefit all Going on, uh, 
by all, the king himself profits from the fields. The original language looks like the king himself allows some fields to sit dormant. The king has enough fields already, and while he might have land that could be a benefit to others, uh, he's allowing that land to sit dormant. Consequently, uh, the people who, who could use that land continue to suffer. And then this statement in verse 10, because whoever loves money, and then there's a redundancy there that's taken out in the NIV, never has money enough. <laughs> yeah. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. You know, Jesus addressed this very thing when he gave this warning in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Did you hear that? Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. It's not what life is all about. And then he reinforces this by giving us a parable of the rich fool. And this rich fool, in all of his glory, begins to build bigger barns to store up his wealth for himself. And, and those are key words, for himself. It's all about him. And then, uh, then he concludes, this is the rich fool talking to himself. He says, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Verse 21, this is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. And then this huge application, but is not rich toward God. And so the idea is to get the right order in life. That what really matters is eternal things. Go after God as your primary pursuit. Back to our text, verse 11. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to feast their eyes on them? Yeah, too much stuff. What do you do with it? You just look at it and say, isn't it amazing all that I've amassed? I don't know where I got this from. Some... My family, you know, we always had these Friday nights where we put out the quilt, make popcorn, and watch horror movies. Isn't that great? And, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> oh, dear. Just a night of darkness at the Discoli household. <laughs> but anyway, I, I just remember this meat-eating plant. And I, I thought I was in a specific movie. Uh, so I watched that movie this week, and I realized it wasn't even there, okay? But don't, I'm not even going to tell you what that was because it was... <laughs> disgusting. <laughs> but I remember this guy, you know, realizing that this plant, like meat, began to feed it hamburger. And, and the plant's there saying, feed me, feed me. But the plant now begins to grow. And so pretty soon the guy's bringing the, the plant cats and then dogs. I, I think by the end, he's feeding this thing an entire horse. And this big plant is saying, feed me, feed me. Does this sound like I was dreaming or a nightmare or something? <laughs> well, that's what I thought it was, but I proved myself wrong. I think in the end, the guy himself gets eaten by this plant. And, and that's a picture of what's going on here. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. I think the best-known quote is by J.D. Rockefeller when he was asked how much wealth would be enough. And his response was, just a little bit more. 
And I think that's our natural bend. Our natural bend is if I just had something else. If I just had a little bit more, then I would be satisfied. And, and here the emphasis is on those who love money. But this can be said of the rich and poor alike. Envying one another. And you're going to see some envying of rich toward poor here as we go on in this, this scripture. But the application is for us not to depend on stuff for our happiness but instead to ask, how do we use what God has gifted us with for his glory? Back to our text as we finish up this first section. The sleep of the laborer is sweet. So here's this rich man writing this, and he's observing that those who work hard sleep better. I'm telling you, there's some envy here of this rich man toward the poor. The sleep of the laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. So, so far, we've seen three warnings here in our text. Number one, money cannot, money will not satisfy, stuff won't satisfy. Number two, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And number three, your wealth is going to begin to rob you of something. It's going to rob you of sleep. The more you've got, the more you've got to protect. All right, now we go to the end of our text, chapter 6, verse 7, as we continue this first part of our outline which actually is the last part, but this is all working together. Everyone's toil is for their mouth. So we work to eat, right? Yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? And of course, that's a rhetorical nun. And then he's going to give the poor advantage again. Watch this. What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? But what the eye sees, or better, what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. So I'm suggesting to you that this rich man who's giving us these thoughts is envying this poor man because he's seeing the poor content because of their limitations, but the rich suffering by this insatiable striving for more. It's fascinating to me because we go to these third world countries and we see all these happy people around. And we think, how can they be so happy with so little? And so we're envying the poor. And now a part of me is asking, I wonder how much of those smiles are being generated by the presence of foreigners? And am I really seeing the whole picture of what's going on? All these dilemmas we face in life. So he says, this too is meaningless, uh, chasing after the wind. So we can never be satisfied. And this leads us to our second point. It is evil when people fail to enjoy what they have. Okay, now our text, chapter 5, verse 13. I have seen a grievous, and that word could be translated sickening. See it again and again here. A sickening evil under the sun. Wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or wealth lost through some misfortune, so that when they have children, and this is actually written in, in a singular form, so when they have a son, there is nothing left for that son to in, enjoy. So here we have this person that has hoarded wealth, but he faces two great misfortunes with his wealth. Number one, his wealth ends up doing him more harm than good. I was walking yesterday, and, and God added to this one because of people who love hiking in Estes Park. So they decide, well, if I move to Estes Park, I can hike more. But then they can't afford to live here, so they're working all the time, and they're saying, I hiked here more when I lived in Texas 
than I do, right? Yeah, you've heard this again and again. So wealth bringing forth harm. It harms us by the stress of owning it. It harms us because it deprives us of, of, of our sleep. It harms us because it estranges us from, from the people we love. How many times have I heard kids say, my parents have the money to help me, but they're not helping me. It, it does harm, or it leads to some sort of depression or some kind of reclusiveness or, or even madness. So that's the first possibility. But the other is some sort of financial collapse or some kind of bad investment. In either case, this person has obtained wealth, but has faced the tragedy that he's never been able to enjoy that which he's attained. And somehow somebody else gets to enjoy that. Verse 15, everyone comes naked from their their mother's womb, and, and as everyone comes, so they depart. So that should sound really familiar to you. But the reason it sounds familiar to you isn't because Solomon wrote it. It was actually written first by a guy named Job. Oh, man, the baby's leaving? (laughs) I think I'm going to go over there with that baby. (laughs) I don't want to embarrass anybody. I'm good with babies making noises in church. I just want you to know that because that's life, folks. And I'd like it when some of you make it. Yeah, there you go. I'd like some of you to make a little more noise now and then. <laughs> but, but Job, a powerfully wealthy guy, probably the oldest writing in, in the scriptures, uh, just had a bad day. And, and just to summarize, it kind of went like this. First, an, an enemy army killed all of his field servants and all of his field animals while they were out working the fields. Next, uh, a bolt of lightning killed all of his shepherds and his sheep. So he's lost his farm now. He's lost his, his ranch. Then uh, another enemy moves in and kills his household servants and takes away his, his camels. And then finally, is that enough for a day right there? Did, did you think you were having a bad day? Huh? Yeah. And then, then finally, this great wind blows by and destroys the house where his children happen to be staying. And everyone inside the house is, is killed. Bad day Job. And, and he concludes with that statement, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I will depart. Yet at the end of that statement, he still was able to say, may the name of the Lord be praised. My, my favorite interpretation of that is, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, he doesn't curse God in his suffering, but instead he recognizes, I trust God in all things. Not, not suggesting, well, uh, I better be careful on that next statement because the one I cut out in the middle says the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. I believe that's a limited perspective of Job that he doesn't see life in a fallen world, but instead he's saying the Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. What he doesn't see is the exchange that took place where Satan was given permission to rob Job. I, I believe the things that the Lord takes away are things like uh, he, he takes away my sorrows, he takes away my sins. Okay, that's the God I know. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But our, our author doesn't have quite the same conclusion here. The teacher in verse 15b, we go on, says this, still talking about these people, says they take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart. And what do they gain since they toil for the wind? Again, a rhetorical nothing. What do they gain? 
Verse 17, all their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. He's writing this from his own perspective. What's going on here? Eating in darkness. Would you all agree with me that eating is one of the great pleasures of life? Amen. That was one of the best amens I've gotten all year. Yes. And we love Memorial Day weekend. Boy, I was at Sam's Club and I was watching those steaks just fly off the shelves. We love to eat. I love to eat. But on the flip side of that, it's not fun to eat alone. Right? Can you recognize that? When I was 18, I, I, I was one of those young guys who said, I'm getting out of this house as fast as I can. So I went to the university, Northern uh, Arizona University, NAU, Flagstaff, Arizona. Carla Sweet was there, an upperclassman to me. Yay, Carla. Studying forestry, there we were. But man, my first day in that, in that cafeteria at South Campus, you know, big university cafeteria, I didn't know a soul. It was really awkward. But to my great fortune, when I sat down, somebody else who happened to be by himself, he was an upperclassman, he said, uh, hey, can I join you? So right there, not only did I make a friend, but at the same time, I was empowered to do the same thing for other people. What a great blessing. It's, it's great to eat. Eating is one of the great blessings of life, but it's no fun to eat alone. Here in this scenario, in our study, this rich guy has built his relationships around his wealth, and therefore in the collapse of his wealth, he suddenly finds himself all alone. There was an old song, you know, when you've got money, you got lots of friends hanging around your door. But when the money's gone and all your spending ends, they won't be around anymore. <laughs> no. I love one of my friends uh, down in Greeley. He's, he's uh, always supported me in ministry. And, and uh, whenever I, I talk to him about all the people who are constantly after him for, for money, he, he said, he's told me on occasion, Mikey, I've got all the friends that I can afford. <laughs> uh, it's a great, great thing. But these people eat in darkness. They can no longer afford to light the lamps. Their house is in foreclosure. The electricity has been cut off, and nobody's coming around. They can't enjoy their wealth. Back to our scripture, chapter 6, verse 1. I have seen another evil under the sun, and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous, a sickening evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Oh my goodness. Wow. Tragic story. This story is more tragic than the first one that we saw. This man who lost his money through bad investments or whatever may have happened to him. In, in, in this case, we have a guy, well, in the first story, the, the guy had one son. In this case, there's this exaggeration of 100 children. In the first story, the guy's life is cut short. But in this situation, the guy gets extended years 
But he has this horrible misfortune in that all of his abundance that he's had, it says there in verse 2, God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them. What does he mean by that? He doesn't even tell us exactly what he means. It could have something to do with worry. You know, the more you've got, the more you've got to protect. It could have to do with trying to obtain something that he can't possibly hold on to. But please remember, he's talking from a worldly, secular view. He doesn't refer to God as Jehovah. He doesn't refer to God as Yahweh. He doesn't refer to God as a relational God who loves to have a a, a walk with man, a relationship with man. He talks about Elohim, this mighty force that's out here. So out of his limited understanding, he starts to say that God does not permit them to enjoy what they have. Can I tell you that's not the God that I know? Can I just tell you that? It's important we see this here. If you're not experiencing blessing in your life right now, please don't blame God. There's other things that are possibly going on because the God I know longs to give good gifts to his children and he longs to give them in such a way that they may enjoy them. But there's a major problem going on here. And it's that all these things were meant to be enjoyed in the Lord. And when you enjoy the gift, but you fail to enjoy the giver of the gift, there's a name for it. It's idolatry. And idols cannot, they will not satisfy. They'll just keep you thirsty so that you're clamoring for more. And so the application right here is finding satisfaction in the giver. And then suddenly the gift begins to make sense. So then then we get to this comparison in verse 3. He says that this guy is worse off than a stillborn child. Tragic. And then he tells us why. Look at verse 4. He says, it, and that's that stillborn child, comes without meaning. Comes without, what, what is that? Well, it poses that question that some have asked. Why would God allow a woman to carry a baby full term only to come to the point of delivery and the child's dead? It's meaningless. It doesn't make sense. It says it departs in darkness, and in darkness its, its name is shrouded, kind of enshrined. Valerie and I, our first child was a miscarriage. And, and I didn't understand the depth of my wife's pain at that moment. I mean, we still have a name for that child. The child is forever remembered. We grieve that, that we weren't able to carry that child all the way full term. But then he says, Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more rest than does that man. (laughs) See, this guy who's striving all his life doesn't get any rest. Well, this baby has never known striving, and therefore the baby has more rest. Even if this man lives a thousand years twice over but fails to enjoy his prosperity. Do not all go to the same place. Bottom line, what he's saying here is that a life without enjoyment is worse than no life at all. People who make wealth their primary pursuit will never be satisfied, 
it's evil when people fail to enjoy that which they've been given. There's the chiasm. But now it points us to this major theme that we need to understand. So we take us, this takes us to the middle of our passage, verse 18. It says here, this is what I observed to be good. So life does not have to be this tragic. This is what's good right here, that it is appropriate for a person to eat. Can I get an amen there? Yeah, it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. And the emphasis here is on the word satisfaction. It could also be translated enjoyment. But notice how enjoyment is found in the simplest things. Eating, drinking, work. I think you can put the people in your life in that thing. Find enjoyment in the simplest thing. It's true. God has given us but a few days to live here. You can't do anything about that. But there is something that you can do with those days and those nice things that God gives you along the way. Recognize them as being from God's hand. Recognize them as gifts. They are not your source of joy. God needs to be your source of joy, so that's not the focus here. We find contentment in knowing God. We find contentment in knowing that this loving Father provides for us and meets every one of our needs every day. Amazing. But what about these rich people? Okay, verse 19 addresses them. Look at this. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possession, and again, the NIV left out a phrase there that says the ability to eat, so that's a gift too, your ability to eat. Boy, these people that lose their their sense of taste. Please, I don't ever want that to happen. Make me blind. (laughs) Make me lame. But don't take away my taste. (laughs) That one's cut out for some reason. And the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil. Then this great statement, this is a gift from God. Can we just stress that? This is a gift from God. So the the, the point here is that wealth in and of itself is not evil. It's actually a gift from God. Pursuing wealth as one's primary focus is dangerous. It's a harmful thing that can ruin a person. But when what we are given is accepted as a gift, it's suddenly we hold on to it loosely. We use it for God's glory. We can help the oppressed. We care about making a difference. And we suddenly hand what, handle what we've been given with greater joy. Is there an amen in that? Has anybody experienced that at all? Yeah. So don't be beat up with what you have. Celebrate it as a gift. And then verse 20, the benefits of God, godly living that these people seldom reflect on. Bad choice of words there. It's better brood over the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. Who keeps them occupied? With What? There it is right there. So again, I have to confess, and maybe you can confess with me. And I want to repent here that I have a tendency to brood over life. I have a tendency to brood over what could be or what we could have. I have a tendency to live there. I have a tendency to want to blame and think that if certain people were in charge, things could potentially be different. And as a result... My gladness of heart in the Lord can be robbed for me in this. 
Anybody else relate to that? And you know what this does? It takes us back to an earlier teaching there in Ecclesiastes 3.11 where we found that God has placed eternity in our hearts. What does that mean? It means that the stuff of this world can't satisfy because God has put this desire in us for something more, but it can't be found on this planet. It has to be found somewhere beyond this planet. So I don't want to spend my days here chasing after something that this world cannot possibly give me, but I want to chase after those things that are real and those things that are forever. Jesus warned us about chasing after stuff, and then he concludes with these words in Matthew 6. He says this, and please hear this. Let it just speak into your soul. So do not worry. Don't ask, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then here's the huge application that we've seen all morning. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Make eternity your chief pursuit. Make God your chief pursuit. Seek that first, and all these things will be given to you as well. In other words, he'll take care of the rest. All eyes on Jesus. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. He is the source of all joy and of all gladness. That's the word of God. Father God, we confess that we do have this tendency to strive for more. And we wear ourselves out in the process. We don't want to keep up with the Joneses. We want to be the Joneses. And so we confess that. But Lord, today, thank you for reminding us that you are the source of all joy and everything else. These things are gifts along the way. Teach us to live life with thanksgiving, always to you. To hold what we have loosely, to use it to make a difference in the life of someone else. Thank you, Lord. All glory, honor, and praise be given to you in Jesus' name. Amen.